Good morning. My name is Brian. I'm the lead pastor here at FAM Church. We're excited that you're with us today. And at FAM Church, uh, our heart, our passion, as I've already said, is to reach the city of Mulberry. We're here to help lead people of all backgrounds to become fully devoted followers of Jesus. That's what we're here for. And if you're here the, this morning for the first time, we're, we're glad that you've joined us. And if you're here in church for the first time or the first time in a long time, we, we really hope that everything that you've seen and felt today has helped you to encounter who Jesus is. Is. And uh, if you're here this morning because you were watching Ancient Aliens this weekend, and uh, your thought was, I want to escape to the Orion's Belt, and uh, you were driving through town and you saw this thing and it looked like a UFO, and so you thought you'd come in and see if it would get you there. Our flight leaves in two hours, just so you're ready for that. No, I'm just kidding. This building does look like a UFO, but unfortunately, it's not leaving the ground. You guys are like really dead this morning. What is the deal? Come on, okay? It's Father's Day. You should be happy, right? All right, we're continuing our series called Caged this morning. There's not a special Father's Day message. I'm sorry. There's so many, thi so many things you can say about fathers, okay? And so it's really hard to do a Father's Day message every single Father's Day. So if you want a Father's Day message, go and watch last year's message because I did a Father's Day message, all right? Today we're continuing our series on Cage, and it's part three. And so if you've missed any of the other parts, man, you can get our Fam Church app, and the, the, they're on there. You can go to iTunes and Stitcher Radio, subscribe to our podcast, get it on there. You can go to myfamchurch.com, click on the media tab, and all of the messages are there. And the series, this title of the series comes from the fact that many of us feel trapped in life. You know, we look at others, and we look at their life, and we look at the, the place that they are in, and we say, man, and their life is so much better than mine. Why is my life so terrible? Why is my life so miserable? Why do I feel like it's falling apart? Why do I feel like I'm caged up and locked down? And so to start off this morning's message and to set up what we're going to look at, I want to talk about uncertainty. I want to talk about a lack of trust. I want to talk about being skeptical of things. So how many people in the house do we have today that would say they are skeptical of things? Do we have any skeptical people? All right, we've got, a, we've got a few skeptical people in the house today. The real skeptical people didn't raise their hands. Why do I say that? Because the thought in your head was, why is he asking me to raise my hand? He's going to try and trick me with something, isn't he? He's going to try and get me with something. And so, uh, so you sat there and you said, you know what, I'm not doing nothing. I'm, I'm going to sit on my hands and not do anything. But the reason we're skeptical is because we just don't trust we don't trust because we've been tricked or we've been lied to on some occasion. And uh, maybe it was a product that we saw on TV that lied to us. Has anybody ever been there? See, I remember when I was young, when I was growing up in the 1980s, there was this thing that was advertised on TV. It was called the Safari Cards. Anybody from the 1980s remember the commercial for Safari Cards? No? There's just nobody from the 1980s in here? Is that the problem? Anyways, there were these cards that they would sell during children's programming because back in the day, you didn't have Nickelodeon. You had Saturday mornings. That's all you got for cartoons. And they would advertise this product on the Saturday mornings. And when I saw this product, I knew that it was something that I want to, actually, I needed to have. 
And the commercial said, send us $1 and you will get your first order of Safari cards. And I said, man, I need this. I went to my room. I had a dollar. I got my dollar. I brought it down to my mom and I said, mom, I've got to have these Safari cards. I've got $1 here. Can I order it? Now, $1 back in that day was a lot of money, okay? Back then, you could buy a lot of stuff for a dollar. Today, you can't get anything for a dollar. But back then, it was a lot of money. It was, kids could go to the store. You could come out with a whole handful of candy from the candy store. Now, you can't even get a candy bar for a dollar. But, and so I had this dollar. My mom, mom, can I get this thing? She's like, yeah, go ahead, get it. So I took it, and I took an envelope, and I stuffed my dollar in there, and I wrote the address on it, and I put a stamp on it, and I put it in the mail. And for the next three weeks, I waited by the mailbox for my first order of Safari cards to come. And I waited, and I waited, and I waited, and I waited, and I never got my Safari cards. My only dollar was gone. And ever since that day, if I see a product that's sold only on TV, I do not buy it. I do not trust only, let me go into the store and see it and touch it, man. Don't tell me. I can order it through the mail because I'm not believing you because I got lied to when I was like seven years old, and that's lived with me and traumatized me for all of my days. But see, a lot of us, we're the same way when it comes to God, aren't we? We are skeptical of God, and we don't trust him with everything. Now, most of us, we trust God when it comes to something like salvation, right? We believe that God's going to get us to heaven one day. I don't hear many Christians walking around saying, man, I just don't know God. He just, he's not going to be able to get me there. I don't know if he's good enough. I don't know if he's got everything that it takes to get me to heaven. As a matter of fact, we have the opposite problem. There's so many people out there that think they're getting into heaven that maybe should stop and say to themselves, am I going to make it? Because, I mean, everybody thinks they're going to get there. It doesn't matter what they're doing. But see, we can trust God with that, but there's other areas of our lives that we don't trust God with, is there? Like parents, how about your kids? Do you trust God enough to turn your children over to God? Most parents these days don't think God is competent enough to take care of their kids because they're smarter because they're wiser, because they've got better plans for their kids than God. And so they'll say to God, you know what, God, you can take care of other areas of my life, but the kids, don't worry about the kids. I've got the kids. You don't need to take care of the kids. It's really hard to trust God with your kids. Or how about trusting God with our money? You're like, oh, no, he didn't say that, did he? Yes, I did. We have a hard time trusting God with our money and our finances. And I think the general reason is because God says you got to give it. And we're saying to ourselves, no, we don't. And so we can't trust God with our finances. Other things that we don't trust God with, those of you who are single in here, your dating life. We know that God has said that we should look at the heart first and where they are as far as their walk with Jesus if we're a follower of Jesus But when it comes down to it, how do we decide who we're going to date, who we're going to go out with? Are they hot or are they cute? Those are the two things. And if they fall into one of those two categories, it's on, right? It don't matter what Jesus said. She's hot. He's cute. And we make our dating choices like that. But what we have to understand is that God doesn't want us to just trust him with some things. He wants us to trust him 
with everything. And until we completely trust him with all of our lives, we are never going to be complete. Until we can break free of the cage that says you cannot trust God, we're not going to be who Jesus has designed us to be. And so if you're a follower of Jesus and you've been thinking that your life is not complete, the reason why could be that you're trapped in this cage of doubt. And can I tell you, it's not me standing up here on the stage and pointing a finger at everyone in this room saying, hey, you got to be more trusting of God. I mean, I could point the finger right back at me. I mean, one of the biggest areas of my life that I fell short in when I was younger was my dating life. I mean, in my 20s, it was like you... There weren't any good Christian women, okay? Or there weren't any hot Christian women. I don't know what it was. But I know I had this one job, and I told this story in another message, and so go back and listen to all of my messages and find it somewhere in there. I'm not going to tell the whole story this morning. But, but I was working at this job, and this girl started working there, and every guy thought she was gorgeous, okay? Every guy wanted to date her. But she, for some reason, wanted to date me. And I was all about that. Why? Because she was hot, and everybody else thought she was hot, But that was a really, really bad plan, and that decision set me back in my life and my walk with God. Now, the dating life is not a problem today, okay? I'm not still dating unchristians. Hopefully, my wife's going. I hope not. Uh, But... uh, but, but there's other areas. It's like, you know, I look at the church and I look at, I, I look at think about fam church and, and I say to myself, man, you know, God's got this. This is God's church. But I get so just, you know, frustrated and, and, and just watching what, things that are going on and things that are happening. And I just say to myself, God, I don't think you got this. I don't think I can trust you to take care of the church because of how things are going. I've got this plan right here, and it's a way better plan. It's a way better thing than you've got going on right there, you know. And so, so I struggle in this area as well of trusting God in all areas of my life. And there are two reasons that I think we struggle with trusting God in all areas of our life. And to look at these reasons, we're going to be in the book of Luke this morning. Luke is the third book of the New Testament. You got Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. And we're going to be in chapter 24. And so if you know where Luke is at, you're welcome to turn there. Uh, If you can't find it, we're going to have it on the screen behind me for you to follow along. But before we read our text today, I want to just give you a little bit of background information uh, of what's going on that we got to this point. And and, uh, and what's going on is uh, Jesus, he's uh, traveling through all of Israel, and, and he arrives in Jerusalem. And he arrives in Jerusalem is like a rock star, okay? He comes into the city, and people are cheering. People are screaming. People are shouting. They're, they're ripping palm branches off of trees. They're taking blankets. They're, they're throwing them down on the ground so that he can walk on a nice blanket. So doesn't it? His, his donkey's feet don't have to touch the dirt. They're waving palm branches at him, and they're celebrating, and they're excited, and they're, they're just ready for Jesus to do something here. Well, four days later, Jesus is arrested. He's tried, and he's executed. These same people that were standing there cheering his entrance into the city are now suddenly screaming, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And so Jesus dies on a Friday and he's put in a grave. Well, Sunday comes. Saturday, if you are familiar with Jewish law, they're not supposed to do any work, and it was the Passover, and so nobody went to the tomb on Saturday. And so early Sunday morning when the sun came up, the disciples and a bunch of other people are sitting in a house in Jerusalem. And somebody says, hey, we got to go check on that tomb. And they say, who wants to go? I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I don't. Nobody wants to go to the tomb. Finally, they go to the ladies and say, ladies, will you go check on the tomb for us? 
And so the ladies get up, go down, and check on Jesus in the tomb. The guys, they were afraid to go check on Jesus. Okay, they were afraid to go down there. But the ladies, they said, you know what, guys, we got you. And they got up, and they went down to the tomb to find out what was going on. They get to the tomb, and there are two guys in gleaming white sitting on the tomb. They tell the woman, uh, they tell the women that Jesus is not here, that he has risen. And so they hurry back to tell those waiting on them the news. There was a house full of people waiting to hear what they had to say. I know this because the text tells us that the 11 and all others were waiting. The all others were everyone else besides the 11 that kind of hung around until the end. And the, the women, they walk in excited because of what they just saw and heard, but the men hear the story and they don't believe him, them. And with that intro, we're going to start by uh, uh, reading verses 13 through 24 in chapter 24 of Luke. And this is what it says. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in, here in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early in the morning but did not find his body. They came and told us that he had seen, that they had seen vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. So the, it tells us that the same day, the day that the women and John and Peter went to the tomb and found it empty, these two guys leave the gathering at the house and head for Emmaus. The reason that they leave is because they are super skeptical about what is going on here. Okay, they, they, they hear the news that Jesus is risen and they say, you know what, I, I, don't, I don't think this is possible. And so the thought in their head is, I'm sure it's like, these people are going to be arrested and executed and so we don't want to hang around here anymore. Because at any moment, the Romans are going to come and they're going to knock on the door and they're going to break it down and they're going to arrest all the disciples because why else would Jesus' body be missing than the disciples came along and stole it? I mean, they just had so many doubts in their heart, and, and nobody in the house really believed that Jesus uh, had risen, and so these guys are just like, we are out of here, and so they take off, and they head to the city of Emmaus, and here's a map to, uh, to Emmaus, okay? That's where Jerusalem is at, that where, that's where Emmaus is at. Now, the text says it was seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus. Now, I hope you can tell by looking at that map that it's not seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus. If you were to go to, to Israel today, and you were to get on the road, and you were to drive from Jerusalem to Emmaus, it's 17 miles. And the deal is, is that uh, um, the text, there's a, there's a discrepancy in the text. What they found was a lot of the really old versions of Luke actually say 17 miles, but at some point there must have been a transcribing error where they took the one out of there and it just became seven. And so the majority of the documents say seven, and so that's why it's translated seven. But the guess is because it's 17 miles today that it was 17 miles back then. They don't think that the city moved at some point in time. And so, so these guys are going to make this 17-mile walk. And a 17-mile walk will take you about four hours to complete. But we need to understand what they are doing here. See, what these guys are doing in heading to Emmaus 
was they were walking away from Jesus and everything that had to do with their life when they followed him. They felt like they just couldn't believe anymore and it was time to go. And what's interesting is what they were discussing while they were walking along the road. You see, they were talking about what happened with Jesus in Jerusalem. They were having conversations about God. And do you realize that we can have conversations about God, that we can be talking about Jesus and walk away from him, move in the opposite direction that he is moving? Because see, we make this assumption that because we're talking about God, because we've got Jesus on our lips, that we're going in the same direction as he is. But this is not true. We can totally walk away from God and talk about Jesus the whole time that we are doing it. But here's another thing I see. Anytime we do walk away from God, Jesus comes after us. See, Jesus went after these guys when they were walking away. Every time I have walked away from God, every time I've walked in the opposite direction as him, he has pursued me and he does the same thing with these guys here. Jesus came and pursued them as they headed down the road going in the opposite direction. So here they are. They're walking down this road. They're having a conversation and Jesus walks up. Have you ever been at the mall at work or even standing in the church lobby having a conversation with someone and a third party joins in the conversation? It's kind of awkward sometimes, isn't it? It's like the person just jumps in in the middle of a conversation. They don't know what you're talking about. They throw all kinds of things out there that you're like, what is your problem? It has nothing to do with what we're talking about. But because they butted into your conversation, you get kind of ticked off. Well, that's what happens here. These two guys are walking along. They're having a conversation about Jesus. And suddenly a guy walks up and interrupts their conversation. And these guys, they don't know it's Jesus. They don't recognize him as Jesus. Um, and, and, so, and so they get ticked off at him. And it's kind of funny, you would think guys who had spent time with Jesus, who had eaten with Jesus, who had studied with Jesus, who had traveled with Jesus, would recognize him when he walked up to him, but they did not recognize him. And part of the reason I believe they were kept from recognizing him was because they didn't believe the story of the resurrection that the women had told. How did that keep that, them from recognizing him? Because many times you get what you expect in life. Do we realize that? If you're going to go someplace, you're going to a party tonight, and your thought is, this party is going to be boring, this party is going to be lame, this party is going to be stupid, when you get to the party, guess what it's going to be? It's going to be boring, it's going to be lame, it's going to be stupid, okay? If you come to church expecting it to be a waste of your time, guess what? When you leave here, you're going to feel like you wasted your time because that's what you expected. If you expect every time you get out on the road, there's a bunch of idiots out there driving, you're going to run into a bunch of idiots every time you're out there driving. See, we get what we expect in life. And these disciples, they were walking down the road. They expected Jesus to be dead. And so when Jesus walks up to them and starts having a conversation with them, they can't recognize him because they don't expect him to be there. And we got to be careful with our expectations because I feel like many times we don't expect Jesus to show up in situations. We don't expect Jesus to intervene in situations and circumstances. And many times then that's what we get out of those situations and circumstances is that we get Jesus not intervening, Jesus not coming and moving and working. We need to change our expectations if we want to see Jesus move and work in our situations of life. Even when we hear firsthand the stories about Jesus, 
That doesn't set us free from the cages, though, of not trusting because we don't think we can believe them, and it further solidifies the cage around us. The text gives us two things that I think lock us into this cage of doubting God and not trusting God. And the first thing I see here is that they are in a hurry, they are busy, they've got places to go, they have a hectic pace of life, and it causes them to miss Jesus. Have you ever missed things because you've been in too big of a hurry? Like my glasses, I come home, I take my glasses off and I'll set them in the same spot usually. Well, sometimes I'll take them off and set them in different spots. And what usually happens is we'll have to leave the house quickly for something and I'll go to the spot that I normally set my glasses and they won't be there. And so I'll be in a hurry, so I'll start hurriedly looking for my glasses and I won't be able to find them. It's like, you know, something came, like I saw this show about this evil gnome that was attacking people out in California last night. It was really strange, okay? It was like, it was supposed to be a true story. I don't know what the deal was. But anyways, I'm like, somebody stole my glasses. They moved them. And so I'll run through the house again really quickly, can't find them. By this time, I'm running really late, and I'm saying to myself, oh man, now I am super late, and I can't find these stupid glasses. Well, it's finally when I take the time, and I slow down, and I look, and I pay attention, that I actually find the glasses, and I'll usually find them in a spot that I looked really quickly, but didn't see them because I was in too big of a hurry. See, these men were in a hurry. How do I know that? First of all, they had to walk 17 miles. Okay, are you like me? If you've got to walk a long distance, do you like, let's get this moving, you know, let's get this moving. I, I mean, if I've got to lock, walk a long way, I walk fast. Even when I don't have to lock, walk a long way, I walk fast. Last night, Dana and I were walking around our neighborhood, and, and she's like, uh, you take one step for every two I've got to take. I can't help that. I just wa- I want to move fast. Let's get it going. Let's walk. But they had to walk, and, I, and they were probably walking fast to cover the 17 miles that they had to cover. Plus, I'm sure that they were trying to avoid walking in the hottest part of the day. Uh, the report of the body being gone from the women came at sunrise. The walk took about four hours, so they probably left Jerusalem not long after sunrise, and they would have had to move fast so they could get to Emmaus before noon to avoid the heat. Second, I think that they wanted to get out and away from Jerusalem as fast as they could because Jesus' body was missing. They were waiting for the Romans to come kick down the door and arrest some people. They valued their life and wanted to keep it, so they got as far away from Jerusalem as fast as they could. They were moving so fast, they were so focused and preoccupied with their life, they probably didn't even take time to consider who it was that walked up on them and started a conversation. And this is the deal. I know that if I were to come up to you, many of you in this room, and I would ask you, what's your life like? You would describe your life with one word, busy. Man, my life is so busy. Man, I just, it's so busy. I just don't have time for much anything else to go on in my life. I'm just so busy. I mean, I struggle to get sleep. Uh, because I've got so much going on late, and then I've got to be up early, and I, I struggle to get to places on time because I've got so much crammed into my day, and, 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 and it's just a struggle. Can I tell you that busyness is one of the biggest weapons that Satan uses against believers? Satan knows that if he can keep us busy with our jobs, busy with our kids, busy with our extracurricular activities, busy with all of this other stuff, he can keep us from making any sort of impact in this world. And so he will do, I mean, keeping us busy is the next best thing to pulling us away from God. Because keeping us busy keeps us out of what God has for us. 
And when we can't recognize Jesus in our life, when doubt creeps in, when trust keeps in, creeps in, many times I think it's because we're so busy that we just don't have the time to see or recognize Jesus in our life. And being busy, being in a hurry leads to another issue that I'm concerned about. Since I've been here, I've heard many people tell me, oh, pastor, the reason I'm not in church very often is just because my life is so busy. Sundays, it's just so busy, I don't have time. What we got to understand is if we're too busy to meet with Jesus for an hour and a half on a Sunday morning, our lives are too busy, period. The most interesting part of that, though, is that when, I, when we think about that, a lot of us don't say we're too busy to go to the beach. A lot of us don't say we're too busy to go fishing, to go four-wheeling, to, to do whatever it is that we, to have our kids on five sports teams. We're never too busy for that, but we're always too busy for the things that Jesus is calling us to. And then we wonder why we can't see Jesus in our life. And we wonder why we seem to be trapped in a cage, not being able to trust him. It's because we're so busy that we cannot or will not take, down to, take time to slow down and find him. But wait, you know, I, maybe I just don't come to church, but, you know, I got my time during the day. I, I read my Bible and I pray and, you know, I get in some time during the day to meet with Jesus. You know, your 15, 30, 45 minutes a day that you spend with Jesus is not enough time to build a relationship. And this is what I, if you believe that that's a good way to build a relationship, this is my challenge to you. Spend that much time with your husband, spend that much time with your wife, spend that much time with your kids a day, and tell me how that works out for you. Because none of us will say, oh, I'm only going to spend 20 minutes with my kids today, and that's it. But yet we've got the same thing. Guess what? And I just really, I know people are getting ticked off at me saying this, but I don't care. It's the truth of God's word. We worship our kids sometimes more than Jesus. We worship our spouse sometimes more than Jesus. We need to stop being too busy for Jesus. And when we do, we will see those issues of trust start to fall apart because we have time to stop. We have time to recognize when he's standing there next to us and speaking into our lives and spend time with him. And so the first reason that people end up locked up in a cage of doubt and lack of trust is because they're too busy and in a rush to see, recognize, and spend time with Jesus. The second reason I see here comes from the phrase in verse 21 that says, but we had hoped. We've all been a place where we've had our hopes on, set on something and they've let us down, haven't we? Been in that place? Like maybe somebody recommended a restaurant to you, and when you ate at that restaurant, it was terrible. And you felt let down? Like we're on a missions trip one time in Mexico, and um, the missionaries, they were like, okay, today we're going to head out and we're going to do beach ministry. And I know some of you are thinking, beach ministry? Sign me up for that. I can't wait for that. Let me tell you, though, I know you're thinking Cancun and Cozumel and beach ministry. That's not the kind of beach ministry we were doing. This beach was the farthest thing you could get from Cancun, Cozumel, or any place that Americans would set their foot, okay? It was one of the dirtiest, sketchiest, nastiest beaches I've ever been at in my life. I mean, they let horses freely roam the beach, 
And you know what horses do a lot? Well, there was, there was horse poo all over the beach, and so you always had to watch where you were stepping because it was just everywhere. They didn't clean up. The horse went, they left it. You know, bam, that was it. And, uh, and so they said, but listen, after this day of beach ministry, we're going to take you to this all-you-can-eat Mexican buffet. It's authentic Mexican food. It's going to be the best buffet you've ever eaten at in your life. And so this is how we're going to make up for it. And so we're like, yes. And I'm thinking, yes, because I love authentic food. Anytime I go to a country on a missions trip, I hate it when they give us peanut butter and jelly and take us to McDonald's and order pizza from Papa John's. I don't want that. I want what you eat in the country there. And so, and so I was all excited about this, and so they're like, they get us there, they get us to this buffet, we get in there, and it was the worst buffet I've ever had in my life, okay? Half the steam table didn't even have stuff in it, and, and the stuff that was in there was bland and flavorless, it was like something you could get from Taco Bell. And I just left there completely and totally disappointed, completely and totally let down, completely and totally lied to. I mean, I felt like I couldn't trust anything these missionaries said after this point because of what they said. And so here are these two men on the road to Emmaus. It says that they had hoped Jesus was going to be the one who would redeem Israel. Now some of you are probably thinking, what's the problem? He did. See, they had a different idea of what it meant for Jesus to redeem Israel. At that time that Jesus was alive, Israel was occupied by Rome. And we don't really understand here in America what it's like to be occupied by somebody else, do we? Um, You... The the closest maybe we can come is thinking about something like the events that happened in Orlando last weekend where where that gunman went into that place where he was in control of the situation and and he didn't give other people a choice and took people's lives regardless of the decisions that they wanted to make in the situation. And that's kind of what it's like to be occupied. You've You've got this country that's over you and you can't do what you want. You can't say what you want. You can't be who you want. You have to be submitted to the government authority that's over you. And that's where the Jews were at, and the Jews hated being in that spot. Well, what happened was that there was all these prophetic books written, and if you page to the Old Testament, you can find Isaiah and Jeremiah and some of these guys. They were all prophets, and they spoke about a time when a man was going to come and was going to redeem Israel and set them free. Well, what happened was a lot of the Jewish leaders at the time, they read those texts, and they took those texts, and they applied them to promises of their time. They said, oh, here's what's going to happen. This guy is going to come. He's going to be a military leader. He's going to rise up. He's going to create an army. He's going to fight the Romans. He's going to defeat the Romans. He's going to give us back our country and our homeland. And he's going to be this political leader that's going to take care of the Romans. That's what the Jews expected. That's even what Jesus' followers expected in this situation. And you could see this in last week's message when I mentioned how the, the disciples were in an argument who was going to be at Jesus' left and right. It was because one of them wanted to be vice president and the other one wanted to be secretary of state. They knew, they thought that Jesus was going to be the next king of Israel and they wanted to sit on his left and right. They didn't think about heaven. They didn't think about anything eternal. They were just thinking about this time and now. See, they were looking for a short-term freedom, but Jesus was looking to set them free eternally. Their perspective, their hopes, their expectations were one thing, but they got something completely different. And this is why people get in a cage of not trusting. Because they thought God was going to do something a certain way, but he didn't do it. See, what we do is we take our preferences and we turn them in to promises from God. But the thing is, maybe God never promised what we preferred him to do all along. We read into his promises 
And then because of that, we conclude, well, God, you didn't fulfill your promises because this didn't happen, that didn't happen, you let me down. See, we have to realize that when things don't go our way, it's because they are going God's way, and his plans are greater than our plans. I think many of us will look at this text from today and we'll say to ourselves, yeah, but these guys that were walking with Jesus, they should have gotten it. If you think that they should have gotten it and they should have understood and they shouldn't have doubted, but you have a right to doubt, there's a problem there. It's you believe that, oh, I'm more spiritual than they are. I'm more in contact with God than they are. Can I tell you that Jesus didn't do what they wanted him to do? Jesus didn't do what we wanted him to do because what we want him to do is so insignificantly small compared to the plans that he wants to fulfill in our lives. We need to quit looking at what we want God to do as his promises to us. See, God never promises to answer our prayers the way we want them to be answered. God never promises that our life would be smooth with no bumps or problems. You want to know what Jesus promised? John 16, 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. What have we been promised? Trouble. Jesus didn't promise us a new car. Jesus didn't promise us health, wealth, prosperity, and a great life. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. But we don't want to hear that. What did Jesus do to bring all these guys back, these two guys back that he was walking with? We're going to read verses 25 through 35. And this is what it says. He said to them, how foolish are you and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. But when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us? Well, he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven, and those with them assembled together, and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen, and he has appeared to Simon. Then the, then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. What did Jesus do for these guys? First, he took them back to scriptures and went over what had actually been promised. I don't know how far into the journey they were when they met Jesus met up with them, but my guess is it was pretty early in the journey. And so for a couple of hours, he sat there and he talked to them, and he, he opened the, the Old Testament up, and he read verse after verse after verse after verse of what was actually promised by God in the Old Testament, about what God actually said was going to take place. He spoke his promises over and over and over to them to try and get the cloud that was over their head, that was communicating to them that God was about their preferences. He spoke the truth into them. And after hours of them continually hearing God's truth, it finally began to break. They finally had their eyes open. They were finally able to understand because they got rid of their preferences and got a hold of what God actually promised. 
And then finally they stopped and they listened. It said there in the text that that they invited Jesus to come in and sit with them and have a meal with them. They slowed down enough to spend time with Jesus and find out his heart, his passion, his desire. And then their eyes were opened and they could see who Jesus was. And so if we are living our lives in this cage of doubt, if we are living our lives in this cage of doubt and we are saying to ourselves, Gosh, God, I just, I can't believe, I can't trust your promises. I just, God, I cannot trust you. You're just not trustworthy. Ask yourself those questions. Where are you at? Are you moving so fast in life that you don't have time to hear his voice? Or are you believing promises that he never made? Because once we get those two things straightened out in our lives, once we get those two things straightened out, where we understand his promises and we take time to actually hear his voice, then we're going to be seeing those, that cage, that cage of not trusting Jesus break off, fall off. And, you know, I know you're concerned. You're maybe thinking to yourselves, well, maybe this is like that dollar you sent in when you were a kid. You know, maybe, maybe this is something that Jesus is not going to do. Jesus is not the guy on TV trying to sell you something that you're going to send him a check for and you're never going to get the product in return. See, when we trust Jesus and we know his promises and we take the time with him, those safari cards that we ordered are going to come over and over again and we're going to see his promises really fulfilled as we take that time to slow down in life.